In John Lanchester's new book, The Wall, a young man named Joseph Cavanaugh embarks on a two-year mandatory military service as a defender in a dystopian world after a disaster known as the change reshapes the globe's geopolitics. Here today to talk about that a little bit is the man himself, John. How's it going today? Very well. Thank you, David. Of course. So I'm really interested in uh, how you began writing this book because it's it's very topical, um, and I'm wondering if that was intended or, or not. No, it was an accident, really. I, I was I didn't intend to write the book. Um, I was part of the way through um, a different novel, and um, I'm, I'm still part of the way through it. Um, and I started having um, a recurring dream um, over a series of nights, a dream about um, a figure standing on his own on a wall in the dark and cold with the water lapping on the other side of the wall. And it was in that sort of intermediate state between wake and sleep that you can sort of sometimes you can go back to the same place in your head, I find, in, in that state um, night after night. So I kept sort of having this image go through my mind and I was wondering what you know who is that person what's happening and then I realized that that's actually the wrong question that the right question was what world is that you know what world is that in which there's this big wall and and the water on the other side and realized that I was imagining a world after catastrophic climate change and I, I, I wasn't aware that this had been sort of bubbling away in my imagination but clearly in some level I'd been um, kind of internally mulling on it or brooding on it um, and then the story really emerged from that was a sort of exploration of that world and the, the character on, on the wall kind of leading him through the world that um, that you know as I said came to me in a dream yeah no, that's really interesting and that, that's that's funny how dreams can kind of provide that that landscape for you in a lot of ways uh, and through the unconscious um, one of the things I'm interested with you in particular is, you know, in, in marketing materials for books like this, the word dystopia gets thrown a lot. And I wanted to know a little bit about your relationship with that word, if you're comfortable calling this a dystopia or if it's something even more sinister because it feels more real. I, I, it wasn't in my head while I was writing it, but I, I, I wouldn't at all disavow it if people wanted to call it that. Um, I think, though, I mean, you, you make a good point about whether it's something scarier than that, because actually, in a sense, I think I think that's probably right because you know, you know maybe it's not really in a sense fictional. Um, you know, my the way I imagined it when I was writing was was that was there was sort of one big premise. The premise was of a world with about four degrees centigrade, you know, sort of eight to nine degrees Fahrenheit of warming, and that was like the given. So that's the starting point for the book. And then in terms of imagining what that world was like, it wasn't like, you know, this is my fifth novel, I've written a few before, it wasn't the normal process of sort of making stuff up, trying to imagine things and, and um, you know, conjure things into being. It was more almost like a non-fiction thing of trying to work out, well, hang on, what would that be like? What would the consequences be? Um, you know, what happens to a society when, you know, the water levels have risen and the whole nature of life has changed. Um, what would happen about the millions of desperate people fleeing parts of the world where you know crops that don't now grow? And it was, as I say, it was almost in some respects it was almost closer to writing nonfiction, yeah. you know, from an initial premise. And and as you say, maybe that is 
almost something worse or scarier than dystopia. It's it's true. And it's really interesting, you know, speaking of like trying to develop this world, a lot of sci-fi writers or people that write in this vein are more interested in that world building aspect and kind of pushing things outward and making it more macro and uh, in a lot of ways losing more focus from uh, the things that make fiction books really compelling. And one of the things I, I, I like about your book here is that it's very taut. It's very honed in on this one person and his, his surroundings and the people he's around. And I think that makes for a more compelling narrative. Um, was that your original intent or did you kind of was, or did you hone this down from something that was a much larger work? I didn't, but I did spend quite a lot of time thinking about, um, you know, the stuff that isn't directly present in the text. Um, I think there's a funny thing that happens in fiction. You can somehow, you can tell when the writer has thought about things and that you can tell when there's a kind of hinterland and a world beyond what you're immediately reading. Um, and yet, it's funny enough, I think the place you often notice it, you see it in TV adaptations. I notice it in The Handmaid's Tale, that I think, you know, the season one of The Handmaid's Tale, the adaptation of Margaret Atwood's novel, is absolutely fantastic. It's very, you know, incredibly dark and dystopian, but it has a sort of three-dimensionality and a realness because I, because it has Atwood's book underpinning it, underlying it, and giving it this sort of breadth and dimension and texture. And then the second series, which doesn't have the book, has a kind of to to me I think and I don't think I'm alone. It has a kind of thinness and 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 it's just as cruel and dystopian, but it feels sort of it feels nastier and sort of somehow shallower. And I think that the reason is because there isn't this sort of three D deeply imagined world behind it. So there is a kind of mystery about you know knowing what something is but leaving it out. I think that that does give a kind of um, extra sense of I suppose sort of it's like an extra dimension yeah. uh, that you you can get in fiction. I think that that's really interesting, and it's um I think Game of Thrones in the later seasons have had similar problems with that as well, being not relying on the source material and not being able to develop things in a more interesting way because they've been thought out of. Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, oh, I think I mean another problem you can get into. Um, they have this thing in science fiction. They joke about um, they joke about a thing called Tell Me Professor. You know where someone says, "Tell me, professor," and then the other and the professor explains it, and you there you can get a kind of trap of inventing something you know imaginative and cool, and then having people explain it to each other. Yeah, it's very true. Interesting. Um, would you consider this book a fable? Not really. I mean, I, I, I because I thought of it as um, you know. In a sense, grounded in fact, you know, there's quite. I did quite a lot of reading on the um, on the on the science and the sort of um, background of what it would, um, you know, possibly. I'm not claiming it's the future, but by the way, you know, I'm just saying it's um, it's a possible future. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did quite a re- lot of reading on that. And so, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, the 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 idea of it being a fable implies a sort of um, allegorical or, you know, um, mythical aspect that, you know, I don't quite think is, um, is there, you know, I, there is a sort of terrible, um, terrible prosaic realness to the fact that this actually, this actually could happen, a version of it. And I think part of the thing about fable is it in its nature, it has that comforting thing of, you know, it, it's not likely. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Um, 
you write many things. You're kind of tuned into a lot of uh, journalistic realms and things that are kind of happening. Uh, one of the things I'm interested with writers writing in kind of a vein similar to this is uh, how do you unplug from what's going on contemporarily to kind of like hone in and focus on writing a narrative like this? How do you do that personally? I, I find um, it comes. It just sort of comes from a different part of the brain. It's an odd thing, but um, if you ask, you know, with any of my books, where I was or what was happening in my life while I was writing it, um, I, I couldn't tell you. Uh, um, it, and I think it's because with writing a novel, it, you know, it's quite a long haul. It's often a couple of years or longer. This was less. This was about 18 months. But you sort of go back to the same place in your head. Um, and it is like a place. It is like an actual physical location. And I feel when I'm writing a novel, I'm more in that place than I'm anywhere else. And then I come out of it and, you know, make make the kids, you know, make the kids lunch, go do errands, um, you know, mow the lawn. Um, and then the next day, I'm back in that place. Yeah. Um, and I find that I um, compartmentalize it with... Um, slightly alarming ease you know if i was thinking about myself as a um uh, a psychiatric patient I, it might almost be a form of kind of dissociation or something um you know something worrying um because it really is deeply disconnected from uh the rest of my life i mean i actually have this funny feeling that the person who writes my books in some odd sense isn't quite the same one as the person sitting here talking to you <laughs> interesting okay there's like a switch kind of going on and off that, that's really interesting um, 18 months, that's a really fast turnaround for a book. Did it feel like a sprint or did you feel like it was just kind of like constant and felt good about it? It felt like it emerged fairly fully formed. I think it was linked to the thing about it being a dream. I think cause climate change is so difficult to face. You know, it's difficult to think about. It's so big and so overwhelming and so frightening. And I think that a lot of us, you know, our preference is to not think about it to hope it goes away, to, to sort of adopt the ostrich position, stick our head in the sand. And I think, you know, I'm I'm absolutely that person too. I'd done some of the reading and I had it had some of the, the background, but I didn't really know that I was brooding on it in quite the way I did until I had that dream. And then when I started working on the story, it sort of came out fairly fully formed, you know, much more so than any of my other books. I sort of knew... Um, you know, knew the beginning, middle, and end, kind of from the start, and that saves you an awful lot of time. You don't if you don't go down dead ends. And I think, actually, the two things I think because I couldn't quite bear to think about climate change, it sort of forced itself, it forced itself onto the page in this fairly complete form. Um, I was talking to, I did a reading um, on the East Coast the other day in, in New York, and um, Garth Risk Hallberg, who's a writer I really like, wrote City on Fire. Mm -hmm. um, came and we were talking about this and his line is that you know every writer gets one you know you get one book that comes from a dream <laughs> and i think uh, you know I've, I've just used mine up hey that's a good thing to use it up on then um that, that, that's interesting speaking about climate change and i've heard it described as like kind of the worst problem to have because it's large it's complicated and it's not in the immediate future yes and i think it's very difficult to feel we have you know, agency, we have control, we have things we can do. And we like stories in which the hero or heroine does something, you know, goes out into the world, acts, changes things, is changed themselves. And it's difficult to connect that very deep 
need we have for stories like that with something that is global and systemic and terrifying. You know, it's very difficult to to think of, you know, the hero finding the switch and clicking it to off and, and climate change stopping. And I think our our imagination does does resist it. Um, and one of the reasons I think it's, you know, it's so important that we have stories and art about it is to make it possible for us to kind of face it, to sort of internally process it. Yeah. And, and like you said yourself, this is your own way in writing. This is a way of grappling with it, which is super interesting. And and in a sense, a way, um, I mean, to come back to the thing about dy- dystopia mm-hmm. and, um, you know, in a sense, to try and prevent it from happening, you know, um, imagining for me, I think imagining it is a way of trying to have it not happen. Um, you know, because my, if I had one, you know, if I could be granted one wish about the book, it's it's that I'm wrong. That's a good wish to have. Um, (laughs) um, to kind of, kind of enter interview, John, I know you got to get going. Um, I'm wondering who are some current writers, not just in fiction, but in journalism and in nonfiction as well, that you really admire and that you wish more people knew about? Well, I'm uh, deeply uh, enjoying, well, enjoying is the wrong word, actually. Um, uh, David Wallace Wells' book, The Uninhabitable Earth, which is squarely in this in this territory about climate change. It's mm-hmm. a sort of non-fiction version of what could happen. Um, I've just been um, I've just been told about, just started reading N.K. Jesmin, who's a writer I hadn't caught up with before and mm-hmm. really, really uh, admire um, uh, there's something really fresh about her work, and because I've been, you know, travelling I mean, on a book tour, and want something that kind of, you know, takes me to my happy place. I'm reading um, Meg Wallett's novel, The Interestings, which mm-hmm. has this wonderful premise about these, you know, four these arty arty group of friends who meet as teenagers, and one of them is freakishly successful, and it's about what happens to their relationship. So I'm reading um, a, a bunch of things that uh, I really admire. I'm normally have. Um, more than one thing on the go. Um, I'm a kind of, I'm not very faithful to books. I switch between them and have multiple ones on the go at the same time. I'm the exact same. So I'm glad there's other people out there like that. I think, um, you know, and you know, it deeply, it always baffles me when people say, you know, I have to finish a book once I start it. It seems so crazy, you know, that um, life is short, and if you're not enjoying something, uh, put it down and pick up something you you will enjoy because. Um, Books are, you know, um, books are meant to be fun. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Well, John, uh, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, David.